Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another WTF1 podcast, but this one's just a little bit special. Of course, my name's Matthew Gallagher, and joining me, the WTF1 founder himself, Tom Bellingham. A week old now, aren't you, Tommy, after me calling you a fetus uh, only last week? <laughs> 31 yep. years old, who would have thought? Uh, and of course, we are also joined, you might be wondering uh, who that third box is, or you're probably not. Uh, we're joined by Sky Sports F1's Jensen Button. Jensen, how are you after an absolutely ridiculous Italian Grand Prix? First of all, great, great to see you guys. Um, I, I love that I'm now a, a Sky pundit. You know, I've introduced <laughs> the Sky pundit. That, that, that F1 World Championship, that meant nothing. You know, now I'm here with Sky Sports F1. This is the pinnacle of my life. I feel, I feel like the Sky Sports F1 is more news, whereas the F1 World Championship... That's old we're, news. We're all... <laughs> That's old news. Not old news. It's, uh, it's part of history, of course. But, but the Italian Grand Prix, Jensen, have, have you recovered? I have. I, I mean, uh, amazing. Yeah, it's so good. And I think, you know, it's 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 sad for for Lewis. Obviously, you know, it would have been the easiest win probably in his career. I think his pace was you know it was one and a half seconds quicker than anyone. But the guys made a mistake, and it was a, it was a tough call. But um, it led to the <laughs> it led to one of the best races I've ever seen, just through sheer excitement. You know, these youngsters on the podium. Um, top four actually in the race we're, we're all 25 or under so um, yeah really really cool great for the sport uh, great for you know an Italian team uh, in Italy it wasn't Ferrari it was a, a much smaller Italian team and uh, one that hasn't won since 2008 uh, and fantastic for Pierre Gasly you know such a such a nice bloke you know he um, he's been on a a proper roller coaster of emotions over the last uh, couple of years. You know, he hasn't been a fun one for that long, but he's been through a lot highs, lows. I think he probably hit rock bottom when he got moved from the top team of Red Bull to uh, the junior team where he is at the moment. And um, yeah, he's come back so strong. He's had such a good year. So I'm, I'm so pleased for him. Yeah, I think we were all kind of sat there just willing, praying. We, I mean, we filmed uh, the podcast for the, the reviewer this morning and me and Tommy were just sat there just going, did that, did that actually happen? Especially with the red flag. I think everybody was sat there trying to work out who on earth was going to win this race. It was just it was so up in the air. And as you say, it's, it's just amazing for Formula One to have that, that difference, that new sort of... It, it kind of brought up what, what we're going to talk about today, which is about reverse grids, which has been spoken about a lot. What is your first opinions on that, Jensen? What, 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 what's your gut instinct as to whether or not that will work? Uh, well, you know, yesterday was pretty, pretty amazing, and it was kind of a, a reverse grid. Um, I, I'm for it. You know, I think uh, having it on a Saturday instead of qualifying, uh, and it maybe randomly doing it through the year, um, having it instead of qualifying on Saturday, so it would probably be championship position going into that qualifying race which would be a short race um, and then the result of that qualifying race would uh, 
would be your position for the start of the actual Grand Prix. So uh, there was a lot of interest in, in that idea. Um, the teams vetoed it. Uh, a few of the teams did. You can probably Not many of them, was it? One. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was the one that was winning, uh, which is understandable. <laughs> you know, I completely get the reasons why they didn't want it uh, to happen. But um, yeah, it would be good for the sport. And this sort of race gets a lot of people interested. I think that the biggest issue with the sport is Mercedes are just doing too good a job. And the other guys aren't doing a good enough job. So they've got such a lead. It's not their fault, but um, a race like this really makes uh, the sport a lot more interesting. It's, it's yeah, hard it's to been... feel sorry for Mercedes, isn't it, when they've essentially won the title, but they are kind of a victim of their own success because everyone seems desperate to kind of peg them back. And uh, mentioning earlier about how it's great for Formula One this, we were talking in the podcast earlier that the last race that Mercedes, Ferrari and Red Bull went on the podium was 2012. So it's been a long time coming to get a race like this. Yeah, I remember the uh, the last time that Mercedes won uh, on the podium because I won the race. It was Brazil in 2012. <laughs> so uh, that's crazy. That was, yeah, eight years ago. Because it's an yeah. interesting point that, that, that a lot of people on social media have, have brought up about the fact that it was so special is because it never happens. Uh, and the fact that if these reverse grids or, or some sort of format like that gets brought in, does that then manufacture one of these sort of events and will it kind of take away from it? In my opinion, I'd, obviously seeing Gasly win at such an amazing race uh, like Monza, you know, down the road, I don't know what it is with Toro Rosso or Alfa Tauri winning at that, that racetrack. But um, it... it yeah, it is an interesting one where potentially it could take away a little bit if we constantly get these kind of results. But at the same time, something needs changing and why not try it, I guess? Yeah, I don't think after one of these exciting races, we can say, no, it will be, uh, you know, it won't be good if we have it throughout the season. We have a Mercedes winning every race and we're, we're not really <laughs> complaining. But um, no, the, the good teams will still end up on top. Definitely. Um, it would just mix it up a little bit more. You'll still get the same people winning the championship, but um, they'll have to probably work for it a little bit bit harder. You know, I remember in the race, Valtteri Bottas saying, this is this is a joke. This is a joke. I don't have straight line speed to overtake the cars in front. It's like, wait, well, you, you kind of get what it feels like for everyone else on the grid now, don't you? So, yeah, I mean, it, it was definitely more of a level playing field with the you know, them being pegged back on, on engine modes uh, because the the engine modes, the, the regulation changed for the, for Monza where uh, you couldn't have the party modes, as they call it, uh, in qualifying. But it also meant that you couldn't change it in the race unless it was a reliability issue. Uh, so it definitely sort of brought them back to the rest of the field, which is good. They're also running a lot of downforce on the Mercedes, so that's probably why they couldn't overtake. But uh, his teammate made it happen. His teammate overtook a few people. Um, yeah, but uh, considering it was a race where there wasn't that much overtaking, it was a really exciting race. <laughs> it was. I don't want to stray too much away from it, but I'm really interested to get your thoughts, Jensen, on why you think Hamilton was able to carve his way through quite a few cars at the end, and Bottas was just stuck the entire time. It felt like it's a very weird. It's it's all in the head. Um, I personally feel. I mean, Bottas might have had a little bit of damage um, from the touch with uh, with Lando on lap one. But um, minimal, I think. But uh, mm. it's he he never hit the reset button basically. So on lap one, he just kept going backwards. You know, he went all the way back to was it fifth, sixth, seventh? I, I'm not quite sure. But um, 
and then he never was able to challenge the car in front. And it's all because you're, it's that mindset of, oh my God, I've gone back, I'm in a position I shouldn't be in. And you, you need to reset your mind and think, right, let's go, let's hammer this and, and come through and, 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 and make some challenging moves, take some risks. Uh, but it's difficult to put yourself in that headspace when it's all gone so terribly wrong over the first few laps. He is not used to being in a pack of cars. You know, those guys are used to fighting for first and second. He finishes second, he's disappointed. Um, so being that far down is, is tough. And then you would hope at the red after the red flag, you'd be able to reset, sort yourself out, sort your head out and come back through. But that wasn't the case. With Lewis, you know, he was a long way back after the 10 second stop go penalty. And I think his head was just like head down, fully focused, aggressive, coming through the field. Um, and it ne he never got stuck um, in, in any moment. He was always moving forward. Um, and it's it's funny because it, it, it does happen. I remember 2011, Monza, um, Michael Schumacher was in front of Lewis Hamilton and Lewis was trying to get past him for 20, 25 laps. Couldn't get past. And I came past Lewis and came past Michael in the same lap. And it's just because I had the momentum, you know, the forward momentum, and it's, it's, it's the way it works. So uh, I think that's the reason why Valtteri struggled so much. Lovely. Um, let's, let's try and get back onto reverse grids as much as I love just going off on every topic possible. Um, you mentioned, obviously, that it was rejected by the one very quick team at the top, the, 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 the whole idea of it. Is there a better way, do you think, than the one that is currently proposed that could maybe entice Mercedes potentially to, to go for it? I don't think so. Not really. I think, um, yeah, I mean, you could, no, I mean, no. there's no <laughs> other way of putting it. it. It's a reverse grid or it's a reverse grid. Uh, maybe they would like it to be more laps. So they have more opportunity to get to the front. I don't know. But, um, you know, even if they start fifth or sixth in race, in, in the actual race, they're still going to blitz most Grand Prix. So, yeah, but I understand from a, you know, from a manufacturer's point of view, Mercedes, they're in this sport to win. They want to be seen at the start on the front row. They want everyone to be watching a Mercedes every lap of the race. And that's why they're in the sport. And that's why they get their bud budget and marketing budget. Although, ironically, you maybe saw a little bit more of Mercedes uh, coming through the pack because you saw a lot of Lewis Hamilton uh, coming through the pack. Uh, but there's an interesting thing you mentioned, actually, about do you think if if we had seen reverse grids, Mercedes would have to adapt their approach? And is there, I don't personally know too much about the technical side, but I'm assuming that Mercedes will build their car be, uh, to basically lead from the front because you see them leading the race and they win by 30 seconds, yet when they're fifth, sixth, it, they don't necessarily blast through the field which is exactly what we saw with uh, Valtteri yeah definitely you know it, it um a quick car is a quick car but uh traffic changes a car dramatically because of the um aerodynamic effects from the car in front so yes they would have to do more work of of trying to improve the car in traffic uh Formula one cars are not very good at following um the, en the engineers and aerodynamics get very carried away of building the the fastest car possible over one lap um, and you know lately they've started working more on um, your probably the last 10 12 years um, so when the car is in a corner it's not losing any downforce as you turn through the corner before that you know I remember back back in the days with 
they'd be so happy. They've, they've, we have so much downforce on the car and you'd drive it and it'd be undrivable because in a straight line, you'd have loads of downforce, turn in, lose everything. Um, so a bit, probably a bit like the Ferrari is at the moment with uh, the way that, <laughs> the way that we saw, um, Charles going off, uh, at Parabolica it looked like it came from nowhere. But, um, so yeah, they will have to work a little bit more on following and, um, the effects of the car in front. So obviously we've been speaking about potentially just pegging back success a little bit. We see it in other motorsports. BTCC has a success ballast, which is very extreme uh, of, of bringing back the leaders. Uh, is it fair? I guess that's the big question. There's a question from Jin, Jin in the city. Uh, my question is, why do commentators, journalists, pundits, etc. hate success? Have they never experienced it and the hard work that goes into it? Do they watch any other sports and wish that the best teams players could be handicapped? Well, I, I guess it's just a spectator, isn't it? I am a pundit journalist, and I know what success feels like. So. And an F1 world, world champion. champion. <laughs> so, no, I, I, I get it, you know, but um, we want to see great racing. And, uh, yeah, I, I totally agree. It's tough, but um, they're just too quick. So we need to do something to make the sport exciting. We want people to keep watching. And to be fair, it's good for Mercedes and good for the, the world champions like Lewis that they do have competition because there's in, more interest, more more eyes on the TV watching watching the teams, watching the manufacturers, watching the sponsors. So uh, I, um, yeah, I, I, everything I've raced in since Formula One has had some sort of success ballast. You know, Super GT mm. in Japan, you win a race, you get 20, I think it's 25 points, they give you 50 kilograms of success ballast. <laughs> and it's the way it goes. And uh, it's to give other teams an opportunity. and. Um, yeah, it's a different way of thinking, but um, maybe we need to, to do something like that in Formula One. It's interesting you say it's a different way of thinking because this may sound absolutely mad, but when you think about it, obviously qualifying is a very traditional thing that has been in motorsport since forever. But you could argue that qualifying isn't really fair if you compare it to other sports because they spend millions and millions of pounds uh Ross Braun trying to you know make the cars follow each other and improve overtaking and you're putting the fastest car at the front and the slowest car at the back and then wondering why no one overtakes each other <laughs> if you kind of look at it from that way obviously we can't have a situation where you start 20 wide on the start finish straight but in other sports you don't give the Premier League team playing the the rubbish team a 2-0 head start do you say so, yeah, exactly. It's a uh, it's a tricky one, but qualifying is part of the sport. You know, that's that's part of it. You know, you got the quickest guy, you put it on the front row, and you you most likely will win the race. But uh, uh, we a few years ago we used to have a double qualifying session, so it depended, I think, on championship order. So if you were leading the championship, you'd go first in first qualifying, and you never wanted to go first in first qualifying because the track was dirty, your lap time wouldn't be anywhere near as good as the guy going last. So it did make it a lot more interesting going into qualifying two because it was dependent on where you qualified in Q1. And then qualifying two was where you started the race. So it's very confusing, but uh, I actually <laughs> quite enjoyed it because it mixed, mixed up the grid a little bit more. But uh, you're never going to get away from having qualifying in, in F1. You know, that is also a spectacle. It's amazing seeing these cars on the limit, low fuel, new tyres. Um, I mean, they are getting probably a little bit too fast because we're losing corners really because they're able to go flat through them so it doesn't become so much of a skill um, in those corners because 
you know, like um, Puon at Spa. To be fair, I think it was only Lewis Hamilton, but he was flat through Puon. And this corner was always a downshift brake turn in. <laughs> uh, these cars are just phenomenal now. And yeah, you can't take away from Lewis. He was the only one that went flat. But as we progress with this regulation, everyone's going to be going flat through there. So um, I, I think Ross Braun at the helm of, of Formula One is, is great because he understands the sport and he understands that we need to move away from this because it, it's making the racing very difficult to, to, for them to follow each other. There's so much downforce on these cars. So 2022 will be a much better year for F1 and you will see um, more competition. There's a, there's a budget cap, so there'll be more teams that can hopefully be in the fight for, for race wins and, and Mercedes won't have such a big advantage, but can't take it away from them. You know, they've won every hybrid year and they've just done a better job than everyone else. And to beat them is, is, very difficult unless they make big mistakes which they don't do very often <laughs> now, now you mentioned Ross Braun of course you worked very closely with him when you, when you got your world championship and I want to cast your mind back now to, to 2009 Jensen and talk about reverse grids as if that was what was about <laughs> to be spoken about as you go into the 2009 season what, what would your uh, opinion have been uh, being a driver in, in that kind of car well if it's the regs it's the regs you deal with it but um, you know I'd, I pretty much you know, my, the, the race that I won the world championship was in Brazil, in Delagos. And I basically made my own reverse grid because I qualified 14. <laughs> so fighting my way through was so enjoyable. I mean, stressful, but so enjoyable fighting my way through and actually winning the world championship in that way, rather than just from the front. It, it made it great. And I think it added a little bit to my, to my world championship. Uh, but yeah, we, we started the year with a, with a very good car, but we never had an advantage like you see today from the Mercedes. You know, people talk about the blown diffuser. Oh, you know, these guys were so quick and they won the championships, the blown diffuser. Well, yeah, but Mercedes are winning the championship because they have a Mercedes. Do you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. they're, they're eight tenths quicker, one second quicker in qualifying. We never had that advantage. But, um, you know, for a small team, we did a, we did a great job. Um, and uh, a small team that didn't have any experience with that car when we arrived. But uh, a reverse grid would have been great. I think it's it's a really good idea. I think you need cars that you can run closer and you can challenge and overtake more than, than now. Um, but that will happen in, in 2022. It's interesting that you mention uh, the two qualifying format. You had like is aggregate qualifying at one point and then obviously the, the other thing as well. Um, you're saying it mixed up the grid and you're right. That I guess the the thing that always people always talk down on for reverse grids is that, you know, you're pegging back Hamilton. Hamilton won't win, but I think they will. I think they would still win. And the era you're talking about uh, with reverse, uh, when it kind of mixed up the order, that's something that Michael Schumacher had to go through with, and he still won the championship every year. So yeah, I, it, I, I the mean the reverse cream rises to the top. Yeah, the the the. Re- yeah, and the best teams do as well. So yeah. you're never going to win in a bad car. Let's just say that. Yeah. You, you, you're basically going to be in the best car or the second best car if you're going to win a race in F1, unless it's something crazy like this weekend. But, um, you know, I think in, in 2022, we'll, if, if reverse kids don't happen, which I don't think they will, um, we'll forget about them because I think the racing will be much better and a lot closer. Um, and we'll see people challenging Mercedes. But until that point... I don't think you're going to see a win in Formula One from another team or a manufacturer unless it's something like this weekend that mixes it up. 
Uh, Rhino Ryan 21 says reverse grids would be great for entertainment but this is a sport the best teams and drivers should be rewarded for their hard work not made to work harder than the back markers of course I'd love to see Mercedes at the back but F1 would be too gimmicky with reverse grids do, do you think it would go as far as being a, a gimmicky sport if, if that was the case Jensen I mean obviously it's, it seems like we're at least for it but can you understand where people would potentially see it as a gimmick you're not going to please everyone either way um, but um I think it would make it exciting. You know, Formula One is a sport. It's uh, entertainment and it's a business. So you got to look at every aspect of it and see how you can make it uh, good in every area. Um, and you also got to think that is it being uh, is it is it going to be more difficult for Mercedes and the other guys? You know, they're driving a car that's it's easier to drive because it's quicker. Um, they don't have to fight normally within the pack like the other guys do so yeah i don't know it's it's a tricky one um, as i said it's not going to happen so i mean we can talk about it as much as you want but i can't see it <laughs> i can't see it happening at the moment you know with the new regulations of uh, of the sport they can pass things and they don't need every team's agreement but right now that is not the case now i'm really interested jensen to get your thoughts again kind of going off topic but who cares um we talk about the Mercedes being incredibly fast. You know, you see the onboards. There's hardly any corrections in any corner they ever go through. How many? Or how easy do you think it would be for a driver to fit into the likes of Bottas's shoes, where he's three, four tenths potentially slower than Hamilton? Is it something that Bottas should be seen as? Oh, any F1 driver could do that. Or do you think the likes of Bottas and even Rosberg, but before he won his championship, was kind of given that that number two? Or oh, anyone could do it? What's your kind of thoughts on that? Uh, if you take, if you look at this year, um, you'd see that Valtteri most of the time has been very close to Lewis. You know, he's done a very good job in qualifying uh, race. Lewis has definitely had the upper hand in the races, but uh, in qualifying, Valtteri's been pretty close. Uh, they've had a, a second advantage on on every other car on the grid. If you took any of those guys, any of those eighteen drivers, and put them in a Mercedes, they would qualify second if there were two Mercedes cars. Um, and, and, you know, every single guy is, is, is great on an F1 grid. They're all very talented, skilled, experienced now, most of them. Um, most guys would get into a fast car and on day one be half a second minimum, or is it maximum, uh, off, of, uh, <laughs> off of Lewis Hamilton. It's, the, it's, the, it's that half a second that's very difficult to find. You know, a Formula 1 car does a lot for you, basically. There's a lot of downforce, a lot of grip. And to get within half a second isn't that difficult. It's the rest. It's, it's trying to make up that half a second mm. that's tough. But any one of those drivers could 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 have started the Grand Prix second in uh, in Monza if they put them in a, in a Mercedes. Beating Lewis, that's something very different. <laughs> Tom, anything from you? Uh, no, no. Carry on. No, all good. Okay, yeah. Um, what was the other thing I was going to ask? Uh, the other half. Oh, of actually, the, yeah, I will, fine, what, I, what I will say is, uh, you, you make a very good point uh, on the twenty twenty two regs, which is, I think we can maybe all agree that if we were having another season like twenty twelve, where we had seven different winners in the first seven races, reverse grids would not even be on the radar or even being discussed. So it really is just a case that people want to see different people winning races, and we've not had enough of it as we mentioned earlier, with the fact that this is the first person to win that wasn't in um, a Mercedes, Red Bull or uh, Ferrari since forever. So, 
Yeah, it's uh, it's a strange one. You know, it's it's lovely going into a Grand Prix, not knowing who's going to win. You know, some cars will suit certain tracks, um, and others suit other tracks. And even when it was, you know, when it was two manufacturers fighting at the front, it was awesome because you weren't quite sure. Even last year, uh, and the years gone by, you'd have three teams fighting for for wins, and that was awesome. You know, you don't need to change the sport. It's it's working really well, but it's it's when there's one team so far in front, it's uh, it's tricky. And yeah, I get it. You know, Mercedes are doing a better job. Um, should they be pegged back in sport? And maybe not. But this is a business, and it's entertainment. So we want to see them brought back a little bit to to the teams behind. And my final off-topic random tangent point, because we don't always get you on the podcast, Edson, um, <laughs> is uh, obviously Gasly's just won the Italian Grand Prix. Um, if you're in his shoes after everything, you know, it's not exactly a normal driver career what he's gone through. What would what, what would you suggest be his next step? Because I, I've seen that there's an article saying that he's ready to go back to Red Bull. There's other people saying he should escape the whole driver program completely. What do you reckon he should do? Obviously, there's probably not a right answer because who knows? But Yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. You know, um, I think he's learned a lot since he was in the Red Bull car. Um, and he, he did struggle, just like Albon is against Max. You know, Max is extremely quick. Probably the quickest guy out there. Um, you know, uh, along with Lewis and and um, probably Charles Leclerc. So it's going to be difficult to be on his pace, but they're, they're not close. It's it's a, it's a big margin, you know, um, and it's it's surprising to see. And Albon's not a slow driver, nor is, nor is Gasly, so... A lot of it has to do with just the car not working for them. Um, it's a tricky car to drive from what I've heard, very twitchy. Max likes to run it on the nose, so he likes a lot of front grip in the car. And I think whoever's alongside him really struggles with that balance, and I would as well. It's, a, it's, an, it's an unusual balance. I don't like a lot of oversteer in a car. So uh, he might feel he's ready, but he'll probably remember how that car was <laughs> and struggle to think it would work for him again. Um, I think his head is in the right place to go back. I think his head, he just got destroyed uh, mentally. And Formula 1 is a, is a mental game. It's, it's obviously about natural ability, but after that, it's a mental game. So, um, yeah, I think uh, he could go back to Red Bull if the opportunity was there, but it would also be nice to see him somewhere else. You know, I think uh, he could help build a team and, and look to the future. Awesome, good stuff. Right, so people are probably wondering how we've got Jensen on board. It's because there's a new F1 documentary series coming out this week called Race to Perfection, which is a seven-part documentary series which will air on Saturday the 12th of September at 9pm on Sky Documentaries and Sunday the 13th of September at 9pm on Sky Sports F1. Jensen, myself and Tommy, we've had a, we've had a quick look at it. It, it. it looks pretty awesome. Can you tell our viewers a little bit about what they can expect? You can expect archive footage that I've never seen before, you know. I remember a lot of Formula One. I've watched Formula One since the 80s. But there, there is so much footage, and I do not understand how they have so much footage of the old races. And it's not, it's not the cars driving around that's, that's uh, the bit that gets me. It's the interviews and uh, the emotion and the, the amount of um, um, past drivers and present drivers that are, are talking over this great footage. Uh, it's uh, it's really it is wonderful to watch and uh, brings back a lot of memories from my childhood and I'm sure for for many people as well. Uh, I'm two episodes in, 
at the moment. So there's there's seven episodes, and uh, absolutely loving. It. <laughs> awesome. yeah. You've watched it a bit, Tommy, as well, haven't you? I have. Yeah. Um, first episode for anyone that wants a kind of full history of Formula One. It goes from the fifties of Fangio right through to the modern day. It, you you were not like me talking about this Matt as a as a big Schumacher fanboy that you are but um Jensen you were mentioning about kind of unseen footage I, there was a very interesting bit where a, a bit in the first episode I believe is talking about um kind of like the Schumacher win at all costs ruthless side that uh, you go into and there's a there's a clip of you almost like laughing in your in your car at the what you've just seen with uh Schumacher going off and I've, I've never seen that clip before but yeah it, there's so much footage in there that I've personally never seen and it's really good even even when it's moments that you've kind of seen yourself there are there are so much more like unique footage in there yeah did, do you mean the one when he accidentally stopped the car uh, on the circuit yeah. pretend crash yeah okay just uh, just for, the corner and just, just for the yeah. people watching to know i wasn't laughing at mike schumacher crashing because that would be no like, no <laughs> <laughs> uh, i was thinking what cliff is this tommy yeah yeah and i remember thinking at the time i really hope he hasn't done that on purpose um <laughs> he hasn't stopped his car on the track on purpose or faked a crash so they could get pole position but he did and um yeah, it was a shame. It was a dark day for Michael, but um, I don't think it takes away from the person that he was and the racing driver he was. And it was just he would do anything to win. And he hasn't been the only person that's done that in Monaco. There are a few other people that have stopped their car on track or gone off the track to uh, to make sure their teammate doesn't go quicker because there's a yellow flag. <laughs> I, I wonder who you mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he was also. Well, we'll let everyone think about it. <laughs> right. I think that's pretty much it then. Uh, obviously, thank you so much to Sky for uh, allowing this uh, to happen. Uh, we've both grown up watching you, Jensen. It's been an absolute honour to have you on the WTF1 podcast as a Formula One world champion as well as part of Sky Sports F1. My dad is literally going to kill me when he knows that this has happened because he is a big fanboy of you. So uh, That's great. That makes me feel really old. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> my dad's 32, yeah. I love that when people come over and they go, oh, can I get your autograph from my grandmother? It's like... <laughs> but if you could say hello to Chris, that would that would make his life. So um, yeah, that would be amazing. Hi, Chris. <laughs> I'm just saying the episodes are going to be going out every week. They're like they're weekly episodes on Saturdays and Sundays. So uh, awesome. Awesome. definitely worth yeah. a watch. And uh, you'll have a giggle, you'll have a cry, and uh, you'll be blown away. Yeah, there's one uh, one episode about different different eras of the sport and kind of each one focused on, on a different topic I was I was sent through the kind of episodes and it looks like there's a few tear jerkers in there as well as uh, some like really special moments as well so yeah it's gonna be good awesome all right well thanks so much Jensen for your time it's been absolutely awesome to have you on board uh, for this podcast I'm sure everybody is, is very much happy and of course you know with the WTF1 podcast you give it five stars or an up rating because I mean we've had Jensen on so I mean that's five <laughs> stars and the rest uh, so yeah we'll see you very soon thank you so much Jensen and Tommy for the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, 
for the ones who get it done. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.